0: Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. In the realm of cellular processes, Charlotte, we're seeing some fascinating developments. I'm sure you're familiar with the CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing tool, right?
1: Oh, absolutely, Diego. It's been hailed as a revolutionary tool in the field of genetics, but it's not without its complexities, is it?
0: Indeed, and that's where Electrum comes in. This new system combines neural architecture search, kinetic models, and transfer learning to predict CRISPR-Cas9 cleavage kinetics. It's quite a mouthful, but essentially, it's a way to understand and predict how CRISPR-Cas9 will interact with-
1: So, it's like a roadmap for navigating the complex pathways of cellular processes, right? That sounds like a significant leap forward.
0: Exactly, Charlotte. And it's not just about understanding these pathways better, It's also about making them more predictable. With such a tool, we could potentially fine-tune our genetic interventions, making them safer and more effective.
1: But let's not forget the ethical implications of such technology. As we venture deeper into the realm of genetic editing, we need to tread-
0: You're right, Charlotte. There's a fine line to walk here. But let's also remember that this technology could potentially help us combat genetic diseases and conditions that have long been considered incurable.
1: Absolutely, Diego, the potential is immense. But as with all powerful tools, the key lies in responsible and ethical use. It's a conversation we need to keep having as we continue to push the boundaries of scientific discovery.
0: Well said, Charlotte. It's a fascinating field, and I'm sure we'll be revisiting it in the future as new developments continue to unfold. From the microscopic world of gene editing, let's now shift our gaze to the macroscopic. We're trading in our lab coats for parkas as we journey to the icy terrains of Greenland. Here, scientists are making groundbreaking discoveries beneath the thick, frozen surface. Charlotte, we're moving north today, all the way to Greenland. Scientists have managed to extract the longest core of rock ever from beneath the island's thick ice. This could reveal some crucial information about the rate of melting due to global warming.
1: That's right, Diego. The preliminary analysis of this rock and the sediment around it indicates that it was exposed to air at some point in the last three million years. This means that the ice covering it had melted away, at least temporarily. That's quite significant,
0: isn't it? It's an indicator of how unstable the ice has been in the past. This particular core is special because it's the first one to be collected in decades, and it contains more bedrock material than ever before collected from beneath Greenland's ice.
1: Yes, indeed. Ally Balter Kennedy, a glacial geologist at the Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory, who presented the initial findings from the Green Drill Project, says that this core holds a lot of information about past exposure.
0: Now, The melting of Greenland's ice sheet is a significant contributor to current sea level rise. Many researchers have tried to explore the past and future of the ice sheet by drilling into it, but very few have penetrated all the way through to the bedrock underneath due to the technical challenges involved.
1: But with the latest equipment and a $7 million budget, Green Drill managed to do just that. They drilled through 509 meters of ice at a site called Prudhu Dome, and pulled up 7.4 meters of frozen sediment and rock.
0: That's quite a feat, Charlotte. To determine whether ice covered a particular location in the past, researchers look for radioactive isotopes that are produced in rock when it's exposed to air and cosmic rays. The Green Drill team's preliminary analysis suggests that the core, especially the sediment part, contains high levels of beryllium 10,
1: which is one of the key isotopes used to study bedrock exposure, right? And according to Balter Kennedy, the amount of beryllium-10 corresponds to around 40,000 years of exposure to air. That's quite significant.
0: Absolutely. Now, this exposure could have been a single continuous event, or more likely, multiple episodes spread over the past few million years. The researchers' calculations suggest that if the Prudhoe Dome site was indeed ice-free, whether for short periods of time or a long one, then Greenland must have melted enough to contribute between 19 and 73 centimeters of global sea level rise.
1: It's important to note, though, that these findings are preliminary. The sediments could have been disturbed or moved around, and the measurements still need to be confirmed. But smaller amounts of beryllium-10 in the rock beneath the sediment would support the idea that it was all exposed to air.
0: That's a good point, Charlotte. It's a complex process and there's still a lot to learn. But every bit of information we can gather from these cores helps us understand more about our planet's past and predict what might happen in the future. From the mysteries beneath Greenland's ice to the enigmas of mathematics, our next story takes us into the realm of artificial intelligence. It seems the world of numbers and equations is getting a high-tech assist let's delve into how AI is helping mathematicians generate new solutions to complex problems. Charlotte, did you ever imagine that artificial intelligence could help mathematicians generate new solutions to problems?
1: Well, Diego, the idea is fascinating. It's like a sci-fi novel playing out in real life. And it's not just theoretical, is it?
0: Indeed, it's not. The team at Google DeepMind in London has developed an AI system called FunSearch, which has made progress on problems inspired by the card game Set. It's quite fascinating how they've utilized AI to-
1: Hold on, Diego, let's back up a bit. Set, that's a card game, isn't it? How does a card game tie into all this?
0: Good question, Charlotte. Set is a card game that's long intrigued mathematicians. It's about spotting special combinations of three cards or sets. The game has been turned into complex mathematical problems which FunSearch has been tackling.
1: So FunSearch is like a mathematical chatbot. It generates short computer programs to solve these set-inspired problems?
0: Yes, exactly. And what's interesting is that it doesn't just generate solutions, it also checks if these solutions are better than known ones. If they're not, it learns from that and improves in the next round. It's like a... Uh,
1: it's like a creativity engine, as Bernardino Romero Paredes from DeepMind puts it. That's absolutely fascinating. But Diego, I'm curious, how successful has FunSearch been?
0: Well, it's been tested on the cap-set problem, a complex version of the set game. FunSearch was able to improve on the solutions known for this problem. It's a step forward, but there's still a lot of...
1: A lot of uncharted territory, isn't there? But what's also interesting is that people can see the successful programs created by FunSearch and learn from them. It's not just a black box. So...
0: That's right, Charlotte. Jordan Ellenberg, a co-author of the paper, sees it as a new mode of human-machine collaboration. It's not about replacing human mathematicians, but rather augmenting their capabilities.
1: A force multiplier, as Ellenberg puts it, it's an incredible development in the field of AI and mathematics, and I'm excited to see where this leads us in the future.
0: Absolutely, Charlotte. The potential for AI to aid in problem solving is immense. It's a testament to how technology can enhance human intellect rather than replace it.
1: Speaking of augmenting human capabilities, let's shift gears and discuss a pressing issue that's been affecting humans directly. The challenging economic climate has been making waves, especially in the job market. Let's delve into how this is impacting the scientific community and their job searches. We're diving into a topic that's been on everyone's minds recently, the challenging economic climate and its impact on job searches, particularly in the scientific community. Isn't that right, Diego?
0: Absolutely, Charlotte. It's a tough time for many, especially for scientists seeking jobs with the competition getting fiercer. Budget cuts in recruitment and hiring, coupled with inflation, are making the job market increasingly challenging.
1: Brianna Connick, who works with graduate students and postdoctoral researchers at the University of Chicago, has seen these changes firsthand. She mentioned how recruitment budgets have been slashed and companies are relying more on their websites for recruitment rather than direct engagement at events.
0: That's right. And this shift in the recruitment process, along with the economic downturn, has led to a significant increase in competition for jobs. We're seeing a sharp rise in unemployment and a decrease in job vacancies. And this isn't just affecting entry-level positions, but also higher-level roles like
1: Yes, like the chief operating officer position at a cell gene therapy company that received 10 resumes, according to career coach Josh Henkin. That's a considerable amount for such a position.
0: And it's not just about the competition, but also about overcoming personal obstacles. Amani said, a career coach, talks about the importance of identifying and eliminating self-limiting beliefs. It's about understanding that you're not alone in feeling self-doubt or apprehension.
1: Indeed, Diego, and said emphasizes that open conversations about these feelings can help remove the stigma around them. She believes that managing expectations is also crucial during a job hunt, which can take around three to six months on average.
0: That's a good point, Charlotte. And as the job search drags on, it's easy for candidates to feel desperate. But Jim Gould from Harvard Medical School warns against this. Desperation can be sensed, even through emails or LinkedIn messages. It can lead to candidates lowering their standards and settling for jobs they might not be happy with in the long run.
1: Right, Diego. And Gould suggests treating the job search process like scientific research, asking good questions and gathering information. This approach can help candidates better understand their unique strengths and how to present them to potential employers.
0: Absolutely. Lakshmi Ramachandran, a career coach, speaks about the struggle many scientists face in promoting themselves. They often feel their work should speak for itself. But Henkin suggests viewing the job search process from a different perspective. He says that job seekers are essentially a product that a company is buying. They are the solution to the company's problem of job vacancies.
1: That's an interesting way to look at it, Diego. And SED recommends using the STAR method to identify unique traits and demonstrate how they align with a prospective employer's needs. She believes this can make competition obsolete.
0: Right, Charlotte. And job seekers should also be careful not to prematurely disqualify themselves from job opportunities simply because they don't meet all the criteria listed in a job advertisement. Connick and Henkin suggest that these long lists of qualifications are more like a wish list, and candidates who meet about 75% of the items are likely to be considered.
1: So it's about understanding which qualifications are most important and not being discouraged if you don't meet every single one. And once you've understood that, it's about marketing yourself effectively. Hankin and said liken job hunting to dating, where you need to communicate your interests and strengths without coming across as desperate or self-obsessed.
0: Networking plays a crucial role here. Gold suggests reaching out to people and inviting them to join your journey. It's about asking for information, contacts, and referrals, rather than directly asking for jobs. This approach can help create genuine connections and make the job search process more effective.
1: And it's not just about networking, but also about targeting your job search. Connick warns against the throwing spaghetti at the wall approach, where you apply to numerous jobs without much thought. Instead, It's about understanding the job description and adapting your resume to match.
0: It's about quality over quantity, isn't it? And finally, it's important to get someone else to review your application materials for content, context, and any typos. It's these small details that can make a big difference in a competitive job market.